We're all trying to stay cool this summer, so I thought I'd revisit a few episodes with the absolute coolest guests I've had on so far as part of an all-star summer series with beloved TV food icons. In this episode, the legendary Jacques Pepin inspires us to cook with the seasons. Hello and welcome to One Real Good Thing, where we dive into one thing you can do today to propel your life in a healthy direction. I'm Ellie Krieger, and in this episode, I'm talking with Jacques Pepin, a chef who really needs no introduction, but I'll give it a try. Among his long list of achievements and accolades, he's the author of 30-plus cookbooks. He has received 16 James Beard Foundation Awards, including the Lifetime Achievement Award. A longtime close friend of Julia Child, he starred with her in a PBS series called Julia and Jacques Cooking at Home, which won both an Emmy Award and a James Beard Foundation Award. I consider him to be one of the best culinary teachers ever, and he also happens to be an absolutely lovely person. I'm thrilled to have him here today to talk about his one real good thing, cook with the seasons. Listen. Jacques Pepin, thank you so much for joining us today. It is a joy for me to have you on this podcast, and I know it's a joy for my listeners. Um, I have to say that you are not only an incredible, classically trained, incredible chef, but one thing I admire so much about you is that you're a really wonderful teacher. And I think those two things often don't come together necessarily. Maybe they do more than I realize, but I do find it to be a very unique combination. And, and I value your ability to teach and to reach people and to really help them get cooking at home. It means so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, I guess I'm very Cartesian uh, this way, maybe being French. So I like to break down things and explain and so forth. So I've always done that. And, uh, and it, I mean, I taught skiing for a number of years. I taught... Uh, that's how I met my wife, actually. Oh, uh, you taught skiing? Yeah, for like 11 years. A, a weekend ski instructor at Hunter Mountain in the oh. Catskills. Oh, my goodness. That's one of the first. I'm from New York, and that's one of the first places oh. I went skiing as a kid. You know? So my wife took classes with me there, you know. Uh, so I'm banging on her leg, saying, okay, okay, bend your knees, put your... She didn't tell me she was in the ski patrol. She skied better than me anyway, <laughs> She was testing you. I guess so. <laughs> well, one of the things I love about doing this podcast is that I ask each guest to tell me what their one real good thing is. And what I find fascinating is what people, different experts choose as their one thing that they think is so important for people to harness in their life. And you chose cook with the seasons. And I agree, this is so important, and I'm so glad that you are bringing this to us today. So why did you choose this particular uh, effort to cook with the seasons as your one thing? And why is that to you such a game changer? Well, if I could show you a picture that can now of my garden, you'll see the amount of tomato that I have now, you know, in my garden. And what I time should I come over with my basket? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I'm probably going to have uh, tomato salads for lunch. So, uh, you know, you get a tomato just ripe, uh, lukewarm, or I mean, you know, room temperature and a dash of salt, coarse salt on top, and the best olive oil. I mean, I don't need more embellishments around, you know. I mean, as a young chef, I suppose 
Uh, I did add and add and add to the plate as uh, as often as a young chef you do. You know, I've been in the kitchen over 70 years. So, uh, But as you get older, your metabolism changes and uh, you can't to retrieve and retrieve, take away uh, to be left with something more essential. And to a certain extent, you know, I mean, if you cook with the season, this is where the food, more importantly for me, this is where it really tastes good, tomato there. In addition to that, nutritionally, it's, where it's the best, you know, and even thirdly, more importantly, it's where it's the cheapest, you know. So, uh, you, you know, the time now I have all my tomato here, I'll go to the founder, I get a basket of tomato for like six dollars or whatever. So, yeah, without any question, you know, as a chef, maybe too much has been said about the chef and not too much about the farmer. I mean, uh, from three-star chef to truck stuff, uh, you depend on the ingredient. I mean, uh, you can do good food, you can hide it and uh, transform it a certain amount, but you never get to extraordinary food without extraordinary ingredient. And those extraordinary ingredients are, are seasonal, you know, usually. Yes, yeah. I complete. It's so funny because we really are on the same page. I had written a couple of thoughts about my answer to the question, why cook with the seasons? And I literally listed here better flavor, affordability, and variety slash nutrition. So yeah. it's the exact reasons I couldn't agree more. Like, let's dive into this flavor aspect first um, a little bit deeper. So flavor-wise, you're saying as the example with your tomatoes, this is when the food is going to taste. It's most right. wonderful. So you don't have to necessarily add a lot to it to have a beautiful tasting food. I, I think that also is a very practical thing. So how lovely to just slice up a few tomatoes, drizzle some olive oil, some sea salt, maybe a splash of vinegar if you feel like it, or maybe take it a step further. And I don't know, I love to make a uh, quick gazpacho, which is basically just like a vegetable smoothie, right? This time of year. And it just takes hardly any effort because the flavor of the food is so good. Yes, no question about it. I mean, some of my greatest memory in three-star restaurants in France, you know, you go there and you have the wild raspberry during the summer. I mean, you know, you pick up those raspberries along the road. When I was a kid, we used to pick them up, usually in the shade, under the leaves. They are more taste than in the sun. And you pick up, you have those wild raspberry and other dessert there with the creme fresh, with the fresh cream. You don't need any more embellishment than that. It's extraordinary. And you can smell them right through the dining room. So by the time you come and you get raspberry too, at my supermarket in January, coming from... Uh, Somewhere if there is no comparison, absolutely no comparison with uh, those type of taste, you know. And um, in France, certainly in three-star restaurant here too as well, the great chef, I have a garden in the back. I mean, you know, I go in the back, uh, you know, I had my, my, my granddaughter, you know, cook with me when she was three years old, my daughter too. And, uh, you know, it's a way of communicating for us. And uh, I say, okay, give me the salad. You think it's washed enough? You think, okay, let's go to the garden. I need some parsley. Test it. I say, no, that's chive. Test it. No, that's parsley. That's tarragon. Test it. Come back. So I say, give me the tomato. Or I take you to the market. Get me tomato. Or get me pear. You think they are ripe? Did you smell them? You think they have any smell? They are ripe, the tomato or the pear or whatever? So she touched the food. She handled it. Give it back to me. And it's, uh, as I say, for us, it's a platform or it's a, 
screen of communication, and not only that we discuss it as we cook it, but of course it extends to sharing the food and then discussing at the table. So those are for us a very important, uh, an important way of living. You know, so. Yeah. Um, when you talk about that anticipation of when those berries become ripe or when that tomato becomes ripe and ready, I think there's something about that anticipation even that makes it very exciting, that makes food constantly exciting throughout the year. And when you're just getting the same stuff all the time, there's not this sense of waiting and wanting and, and building excitement that you get when the first I don't know, for me, strawberries come in June in New York. Yeah. It's like this exciting moment. And then you celebrate that and eat your fill for a month or so um, before yeah. you move on to peaches. And then, and, it, and it's this constant revolving door in a good way of beautiful excitement and flavor. Um, from a nutritional point of view, as you know, I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist. Um, from a nutritional point of view, I think it's really interesting because when fruits and vegetables are at their peak, they actually also have more nutrients, right? When they're, yes. particularly when you're buying locally and you're getting food that has been just picked because yes. once it's picked, it tends to lose that nutritional value on some level. It's not that it's not good anymore. So don't get, so I don't want the listeners to think that if they get some berries from Chile in in January, that they don't have nutritional value, they do. And it's fine to eat that once in a while. And if you want them, go for it. But you are going to get more of that nutrition when you're eating in season. And interestingly, I think the variety, variety is very important to nutrition. So different fruits, different categories of food, different types of seafood, different types of, um, uh, of vegetables, different types of fruits have different sort of nutritional profiles. So one way to ensure that you're going to get a nice, even spectrum of nutrients is by eating a variety of foods. So what better way to get that variety than do it seasonally? It's so inspiring. When I was a kid, I remember maybe some of the apricots from the Rhone Valley. You know, I used to go pick it up with my, I had an uncle and he was a trucker and he used to go pick up those uh, to different farm. And uh, I remember those apricots, I've never had apricot like this, you know, out of the tree and really ripe. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, my mother had restaurants. I had 12 restaurants, I can't count in France. 12 of them actually run by women. My three aunt, my sister-in-law, my cousin, my mother. I was the first male to do that business. But uh, before going to school in the morning, my two brothers and I, well, we went, my mother didn't have a car, and we were about five, six blocks away from a a big market along the Stone River, which started, you know, like at uh, five o'clock in the morning until 10. So my mother would walk the market, a restaurant, like half a mile, and then she'd buy on the way back. Buy on the way back, she'd buy a case of mushroom because she knew that mushroom is turning dark. The guys get to get rid of it. She get a better price for it. So, and came back to the restaurant. We help her and she started doing her vegetable. We went to school. Uh, at that time, everything was, well, the word organic did not exist, basically. You know, everything was local. Everything was, uh, uh, you know, and, and seasonal and local, and that's the way it was. And my mother didn't even have a refrigerator in a restaurant. She had, at the last moment, an ice box. That is, she bought a block of ice but in the cabinet to put a couple of chicken and some fish and stuff that she buy for the day. 
she knew she bought it, she always ran out of it by the end of the day. It was planned to be, and the day after she go back to the market and so forth. So it was another way of, uh, of uh, cooking, another way of, uh, but certainly uh, the quality of the ingredient uh, made it for the food to be extraordinary. So I think you're lucky enough to have a garden. I live in New York City where I do not have really any outdoor space. And so for me, the way I tap into, if you can't have a garden, the way you can tap into what's local, what's really growing now is by going to your local farmer's market. As you say, yeah. your, your mom did. And there's farmer's markets all over the country. And you can literally just Google like farmer's market and your town, wherever you may be. And visit there as much as you can to get a sense of what's growing and what's really fresh right then and there. Um, and even in supermarkets now, I think they're highlighting local growers and local foods in the produce section, as I've noticed, you know, as I've traveled around the country. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I, I do that. I mean, you know, and certainly there is much more organic food when you go to the supermarket now. Uh, for me, however, uh, you know, when I was a chef in a restaurant, I mean, if I were Thomas Keller or whatever, then I would do extraordinary food, two or three farmers delivering for me too. And I don't have to validate what I'm doing. I'm doing that uh, and I'm doing a book or I'm doing a, a demonstration to show the quality, the extraordinary quality of what I do in my restaurant. And whether people can do it or not is kind of a, material to a certain extent that just want to entice them to come to the restaurant. I don't do that. For 35 years, I've been cooking on PBS and I go to a supermarket, regular supermarket, if I'm buying the package, putting the package on the table there and opening it in front of the, uh, the, the camera so that people can relate to it, you know, because otherwise if I come with all kind of extraordinary products, say, where am I going to get that stuff? So it's a different way of teaching also you know, whether, uh, and for me, yeah, I go to the supermarket most of the time. I get the best that I can there, but I go to the supermarket. Yeah. I mean, I think that realistic approach is what, what makes you so wonderful that people can really feel like this is something they can do within the context of their busy life. And I think that notion that it doesn't have to be also all or nothing because, okay, you live in California, you have a nine month growing season. Yeah. That's one thing. Then you live in the Northeast and unless, you know, you get a little tired of root vegetables by the by uh, January sure. and February. So, and also PS, there's no way I'm not buying lemons every week, for example, and they don't grow around where I live at all. Um, so I think it's okay to have this, you know, very flexible approach, but try and, and enjoy ingredients that you see that you want. That you don't have to feel bad about buying lemons or avocados if you live in New York. But I think uh, the notion of just trying to base things on what's growing um, and what's seasonal at the time. And it actually, it usually works out to be the kinds of food you're craving at that time anyway, you know? Yes, yes. And certainly for me, I'll go to the supermarket and I'll go look at the organic product too. And if I see a carrot there and the carrot is really limp and whether it's organic or not, I'll buy another carrot, which is not organic. So come to a point, yes, you have to use common sense to, you know, yes. Oh, common sense. That seems to be missing a lot in this world, doesn't it? <laughs> Um, so 
Is there anything else you want to talk about right now regarding the eating with the seasons that you really want people to know about getting started with that? Not really. All I wanted to say is that it has to become something not special, unusual, fancy. No, it's something which is natural. And when you get into the habit of it, you know, you don't even think about it. It's, it's normal that the way it is. You know? So and you have to approach it more this way. Again, the question of common sense, you know. Yeah, it just becomes, it folds into your life in a very natural way, I think. Um, so I'm excited because I really want to tell, tell everyone about your new book, which I'm holding in my hand now. And it's so, <laughs> so very beautiful. It's called The Art, oh, Art of the Chicken. Right. And you're a painter. How wonderful. So there's all of these incredible paintings in this book, all yeah. chickens. Yes. So. In their beautiful feathered fanciness um, and, and gorgeously done work. I must say, I'm, a, I'm an art, art lover myself. So I really appreciate seeing your work. Um, and I, I, I adore the book. It seems so personal. It's like a memoir in chicken, <laughs> essentially. Um, how, do you, how would you describe the book to folks? Well, the point is that uh, I have been painting for over 50 years and um, I have 31 cookbooks. So I wanted to do a book with painting of my chicken. I decided uh, years ago, I was married 54 years. And for over 50 years, when people came to the house, we wrote the menu down and people signed on the other page or anything. So my whole life, I have 12 books of those menus. In fact, my daughter, who is in the mid-50s now, came few weeks ago and say, what did I eat for my third birthday? So, okay, let's look. And on her third birthday, she actually draw little chicken and all that with, with friends. So those books are, are, you know, as I say, my whole life. And I realized that I was drawing a lot of painting of chicken in the margin too and so forth. So I decided, so I have a lot of, uh, and my friend Tom Hopkins, who is running my, my art site, uh, decided let's do a book of chicken. So I asked my the, my publisher, they say, oh, absolutely, great, too. And then, of course, they came back to me and they say, we want recipe with it. I said, I have 30 books. I don't want to do recipe. So finally, I said, I will do I have another book called The Apprentice, which is a cook's memoir, the story of my life, uh, published about 20-some years ago. So I decided to do the same idea, to talk about eggs and chicken in the context of uh, more of a narrative type of explaining recipe. And some of them are feasible. In my family, my mother used to do this, 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 and that too. Some of them are not feasible. In fact, my, the editor there asked me uh, at some point, if I could we have more ingredients and more list of ingredients? I said, this is not what it is. It's a narrative. She said, well, I said, okay, fine. So I said, I'll give you uh, a formidable woman of Lyon, where I come from too, La Mer Brasier at a three-star restaurant. There were several of those women at a three-star restaurant in the 40s too. And uh, one of her specialties was the, the chicken in a pig's bladder. So, you know, it was a poulet de breast, a real chicken there with truffle under the skin. She put it in a pig's bladder with a, an onion, a carrot, and a leek. Pushed it slowly in there, and it was brought to the table, all inflated too. So it's extremely simple. It's just pushed in there, but pretty sophisticated. It was up and there, served, and the juice was reduced with some butter to serve with it. So when she asked me what ingredient, I said, okay, here is a recipe. Here I need a pig's bladder, two truffles. <laughs> She said, what are you talking about? I said, this is it. So I said, some recipe are 
are feasible. Some are not really. Yeah. Uh, it's story. It's story. Yes. It's a beautiful, there are beautiful stories. Um, and like I said, it, it reads like a very personal memoir. And the recipes are suggest or are written in this narrative form. And I do think many of them are doable. I'm not sure if I'm going to be running out to get a pig's bladder anytime soon. <laughs> um, but um, I also want, so de definitely check out the book, guys, um, Art of the Chicken. And I also want to make sure that folks know about your wonderful Jacques Pepin Foundation. Um, I was... Um, I'm proud to be a contributor to there's a, yeah. a video recipe book that features more than 160 recipes from all renowned chefs from all walks. Yeah. And um, I'm thrilled to be part of that. So you'll, you, if you become a member, you'll get to see my video too, which I'm thrilled about. But um, I, the met, the uh, motto is enriching lives and strengthening communities through the power of culinary education. Right. So tell us more about this wonderful foundation and, and why you started it and, and how it's going and how people can get involved. Well, to start with, I did not start it. My son-in-law, Rory, and my daughter started it a few years ago. I have done show on PBS for 40 years, you know, and uh, what I'm known for, maybe more, the book of technique, I did book called technique and so forth, which I did over 50 years ago and still in print. Interestingly enough, because uh, I don't cook the same way I did 50 years ago, but the way you peel an asparagus or sharpen a knife or poach an egg is the same. So uh, my son-in-law at some point said, you know, you've been teaching all your life. And he's, he teaches, he's a chef, but he had a PhD, he teaches at Johnson & Well, and uh, he decided to, uh, to create the foundation. And he said, oh, would you like to teach your thing now? I said, maybe the people who have been a bit disenfranchised by life, like people who come out of jail or homeless people or former drug addict, even veteran. So we do that through community kitchen, basically all over the country. I mean, I was in New York last week uh, in uh, the hot bread kitchen, so-called. And it's a place I didn't even realize all the, the students there who work with me were women, but they're all women from other country, a lot from South America and so forth. And, uh, so, you know, you work with people like that and it's very rewarding in, in, in many ways. I mean, it's not usually young people, uh, usually people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever. But, uh, you know, if you take someone like this and with a few techniques showing someone how to wash salad, peel an onion, a few things, you can use after five, six weeks like that. You can have someone working in the kitchen with you and eventually you stay there and start moving up the ladder you know, to become a chef learning. So, you know, you can redo a life. And, uh, and it's a great deal of pleasure if you love to cook, you know. Uh, I mean, maybe that the purest expression of love, you know, because you always cook for someone else, whether it's your granddaughter or your, your grandmother or your lover or whoever, it doesn't really matter. You know, there is a great deal of giving in cooking. So if someone found pleasure in this, and redo a life for help, and that—that's uh, pretty rewarding for me. Absolutely, I mean, you're giving people the chance at a really wonderful culinary career when maybe they're starting from a place where they don't have that much hope uh, in their hearts. So, for a career, and and there are real opportunities in this field. And uh, as you say, it is an act of giving. Cooking and teaching is an act of giving. And so, thank you for all of your giving. Oh, thank you. 
<laughs> and all the love you're given us over the years. And um, I will have a link to the foundation information mm-hmm. on the episode page on my website. So folks mm-hmm. can go there. Thank you and, so much. And Thank I, you for doing a video for us. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Totally my pleasure. And thank you very much for being here and talking with us and for helping us realize the joys and the importance of cooking with the seasons. Okay. I'll drink to that. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you're inspired to start cooking more seasonally and realize all the benefits of doing so. I have an amazing lineup of new guests coming in September. See you then.